0: This is WVEWLP, Brattleboro, 107.7 FM, your community radio station, also streaming live online at www.wvew.org. You're listening to Indigo Radio. We are deepening understanding and making connections. We're on the air every Sunday at one o'clock. We are a group of educators who are seeking to engage in the, our world and in our communities and, um, and with, with our classrooms. And, um, and you can also find us on Facebook um, and on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, if you can't listen to us um, or if you miss any of our shows, feel free to go to iTunes podcast and you can check out the archive of all our past shows. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guests, and not the radio station. My name is Nina Kunimoto. Um, I'm a local educator, and I also teach in the Spark Teacher um, Training Institute. And?
1: And hi, I'm Chris Levensey. I am also a a high school teacher in the area, and I also teach in the Spark Teacher Education Program. And uh, really happy to be here today, Nina, and talking about this important and connected topic that is often underlooked or overlooked.
0: Absolutely. And so our topic today um, is Yemen. Um, we interviewed Neda Saleh, who is um, a co-founder of Hands Off Yemen, which is a um, youth organization that um, does a lot of advocacy and action and agitation to get people to to agitate our government to stop supporting Saudi Arabia um, with arms and money, um, which Saudi Arabia is bombing Yemen. Um, And she is also a coordinator with Action Corps. She is a Yemeni-born peace activist located in Northern California. Um, She is a volunteer with the Yemen Relief and Reconstruction Foundation, as well as the founder of the youth organization Hands Off Yemen, um, and she hopes to take her advocacy work abroad to help achieve peace and stability in Yemen. Um, and just to give a context of Yemen, right, I, I have to say, I don't hear about Yemen as much in the news, but it is one all. of the most urgent um, humanitarian crises at the moment. Um, uh, Human Rights Watch uh, said, you know, 20.1 million people. That's nearly two thirds of the population require food assistance. That was at the beginning of 2020, right? When the pandemic was ramping up. UNICEF has the same numbers, right? Um, UNICEF reports 21 million with 11 million being children.
1: And I, I, that, those numbers, um, numbers can sometimes be numbing and um, they mm. don't really impact us. And we think about two thirds of the population, uh, if, if that were the case in the US, um, you know, 200 million people or more, 220 10 million people, and two thirds of the population of Yemen. And um, one of the classes I teach at high school is about immigration and migration. And um, it's a a hum tremendous catastrophe that's happening in Yemen in terms of human suffering and what's going on. And it it's not going to be, and it hasn't been contained just in Yemen as well. And so that the the impact of that. Um, incredible number of people being impacted is going to spill out um, around the region and around the world. And I think that that's part of why it's so important for us to um, to focus on this and, and be aware of it and advocate for uh, how to kind of prevent this from getting any worse than it already is, and, and in fact, alleviating what's happening.
0: Thanks, Chris. And I, I always appreciate, and I remember you doing this before, of like really contextualizing the numbers, that, which is really important for us, because you're right, numbers are really numbing. Um, so we're going to start out by listening to a clip um, that interviews Noam Chomsky um, on the U.S. support of this um, Saudi attack against Yemen.
2: Because the U.S. is supporting the Saudi attack. And this UDI attack, supported by the United States, is offering uh, space for the uh, operations of uh, Al Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. The New York Times has an article on how Al Qaeda is expanding in Yemen, conquering uh, uh, new cities, banks, so on, because of the space that's left open by. Uh, the war against the Houthi, who were the main enemy of Al-Qaeda and are now uh, engaged in, the, uh, in a war with, basically with Saudi Arabia and the United States.
0: Hey, welcome back. Um, you're listening to Indigo Radio um, on 107.7 FM, WVEW, Trattleboro. Um, and we were just listening to Noam Chomsky, um, the U.S. is supporting the Saudi attack against Yemen. Um, and I wonder uh, if you could summarize that a little bit for us, what Nam, Nam Chomsky was saying there,
1: Chris? Yeah, yeah. Professor Chomsky was um, putting out there that one of the justifications for us to support the Saudis in this, and the Saudis being one of our main allies, in particular the oil connection, um, was that that Yemen is now a place for terrorism and Yemen is a place where Al-Qaeda is taking root and, and also ISIS and, and everyone else. Um, and in fact, looking at the details of this and what Professor Chomsky is saying that um, the Houthis in, in Southern Yemen who are the main opposition to the Saudi kind of takeover is that they were actually at, at war with Al-Qaeda as well. And if following our policy, we should in fact be supporting them, but we're not. And so he he is saying that um, that's a pretext for us to be in there to support Saudi Arabia and to continue to support them. And in fact, it's a false uh, pretext in this. And that um, also the kind of narrative that Iran is the proxy for the Houthis in in Yemen um, is also false. In looking at the the number of w- and kinds of weapons that are being used by the Houthis are are not. Um, those being provided by Iran. And so he's saying that the details really matter in this to just generalize, which is often what we hear in the news, that this is um, the bad and terrorist in the South against the kind of the good Saudis and their cause is actually not not the case in this. And we need to look deeper into this. And I think that that's important for us to do in every situation and certainly in this situation with Yemen.
0: Absolutely. and And I think the other thing that I, that's constantly um, sort of posed as what's going on in Yemen is that it's a sectarian conflict and, it, and that's how it's portrayed and it really isn't. And so um, something that Chris and I are gonna do a little bit here is to give a, a, a broad historical context um, of Yemen so that we can understand why Things are happening the way they are today, and and what is happening, um, and and ultimately that it needs to stop. Um, so, I mean, just really broadly, as in you know, many places around the world, um, pa- a part of Yemen was colonized. So the British ruled Aden, which is uh, just a port city, um, which was just a place that was valuable to them, but. No other parts of Yemen was valuable, so they didn't really go much further than Aden. Um, so they controlled Aden um, for about 129 years, and they controlled the rest of Yemen indirectly um, because of sort of con- control of through colonialism, um, and you know through through the British rule. Um, there wasn't much done to share technology or um, knowledge to help modernize Yemen outside of Aden. Which
1: or resources, was, I would say too. The you know
0: absolutely, the, the yeah. Ro-
1: roads, transportation, and all of those water systems—everything I think was um, put into one place at the expense of other places as well.
0: Right. And, and that's, I mean, just looking at it sort of more broadly, that's very typical of colonial projects, anywhere around the world, including the rest of Africa. Um, You know, so when we think about, quote, a country that's industrialized versus not industrialized to really understand why that really happens. Um, And, I mean, jumping a little bit Chris, you you had mentioned something. Can you talk a little bit about sort of World War I in that period?
1: Yeah, I, I, and I think this is a a pretty common narrative that we could apply to just about any other place. but um, so after World War One and having the Ottoman Empire prior to World War One, controlling huge parts of um, uh, Africa and the Middle East, and then with the the loss in World War One the colonial powers jumping in and, and splicing and dicing up um groups of people and land to their own benefit and as you said aden being um a strategic location where oil comes through the gulf um it was taken over by the british and and again modernized because it was useful to the british um and then the rest of southern yemen in particular um not having that and i think the um the part of the impact of that, um, and w- one of the things as we jump forward when we look at um, people's resistance to to that or trying to decolonize their their country and and themselves from this, is it's really clear to them that there's a inequality in resources right in in what the British controlled and the rest of um, Yemen and so it, it was part of the analysis of the group that Was able to ultimately oust the British and the government that was installed, um, they used a a socialist model. They used um, the study and the way to analyze the world to do that, in part because um, that had a clear um, representation of what was happening in their lives, the the inequality in resources. And just to give you an example, um, there's only three percent of the land in Yemen is arable right? And so water is a tremendously uh, important thing in Yemen for crops and self-sustaining and everything. And certain parts of Yemen, the North um, being able to access that water and the South not being able to, and the North being able to grow really high cash crops and provide for themselves, created this inequality that makes it um, pretty clear to both intellectuals and to the everyday peasant and farmer and working person, this isn't there's inequality, and this isn't right. And that situation lent itself, and in, in this particular instance, and often in other places too, to analyzing the world in a in a way of uh, with a socialist um, perspective, right? That that we need to to share and um, um, make these resources available to everyone in the country, and that's in particular that that's what happened in Yemen.
0: Absolutely, and you know. You're right, Southern southern Yemen in particular. So Southern Yemen and Northern Yemen went in very different and perhaps opposite directions. Um, And and Southern Yemen had gone in more of a democratic and revolutionary society. Um, The only issue, you know, by 1991, that project had really, I guess, was unable to be sustained, I suppose, would be a, a good word. I, Samir Amin, who is an Egyptian political economist, said that, um, that in some ways, they had committed suicide by uniting with the northern Yemen, um, because at this point, you know, you have imperialism and you have um, all these forces pushing against a, a small um, country. a southern part of a country um that's trying to be democratic and trying to be you know have a more egalitarian society um so eventually in 1991 uh the south merged with the north and um Yeah. And, and so that's around, I I just want to
1: add too that. I think um, one of the notes you made that uh, coincidentally, that's the year that the Soviet union fell and, um, (laughs) and there's, and, and that uniting of North and South and, and unequal resources and political, or um, differing political perspectives required force to do that. Um, The U S and other um, powers were more than happy to come in and participate in that, providing the Kind of force and and um, coercion and oppression to make that happen of the uniting of the two countries. Right, and I think that and that that's that has existed to this day as well.
0: That's an excellent point. Absolutely. And then you know, obviously, after that, you have you know the IMF and World Bank imposing other types of force um, upon Yemen, um, causing even more um, impoverishment and pauperization. Um. So we're jumping a little bit here, um, looking, you know, ahead to 2015. So in March of 2015, the Saudis, um, Saudi Arabia launched 90,000 airstrikes um, against Yemen. Um, And so, you know, really 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, that's like six, almost seven, seven years of um, consistently being bombed and um and so here we are today <laughs> um
1: well and i think we'll- it might be important again when we talk about the sheer numbers of people and the the um impact of that and again it's hard to fully grasp it um yeah. i think maybe our our next person could give us uh, a little bit of perspective on some of the impact of that and and this seven uh and now much longer uh, well, seven years of of bombing, continuous bombing, to try to bring those people that were resisting what was happening into into the fold of, so to speak, of Western powers. Um, and they've continued to resist. And I think Yemen is a another one of those cases where um, the resistance and the success of people fighting against colonialism and imperialism we hardly recognize. And Yemen yeah. was able to, with people with you know light guns and weapons and and the force of organizing were able to throw off a colonial backed power government mm-hmm. is is pretty amazing and they're continuing to to fight and again seven years of this continuous bombing by Saudi Arabia yeah. takes a tremendous toll um, and they're still they're still doing it they're still resisting and, and having victories in this um, and so I think maybe some of the the impact of what this uh bombing campaign has on the on real people is maybe may be important yeah. to hear too
0: absolutely and just um before we launch into the interview with uh, Neda saleh we'll play one of the songs she recommended um it's uh by by the nahar band called huria so we'll um we'll start off with that and then and then listen to our interview
3: the shine every welcome
0: back you're listening to indigo radio on um, you're listening to us on wbew fm 107.7 um bravo Bro. and um today our topic of discussion is yemen um and that was a song that was recommended to us by neda saleh um who we will hear our interview with in a moment um the song Correct me if I'm wrong, Chris. I think Neda said that um it was it's a traditional Yemeni song, but the one that we listen to um uh is a more modernized version, but Huriya means freedom and liberty.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. right. And it, it has uh been kind of um repurposed um in a number of different generations, but certainly in this generation and the, and the chorus rise up like lions and the mm-hmm. uh, meaning freedom, winning our freedom and striving for our freedom. Um, yep.
0: So we're now gonna turn to um, our interview with Neda. Um, we interviewed her at a different time. So Neda is uh, currently a coordinator with Action Corps. She is Yemeni born peace activist um, located in Northern California. She's a volunteer with the um, Yemen Relief and Reconstruction Foundation, as well as the founder of the youth organization Hands Off Yemen. And she hopes to take her advocacy work abroad to help achieve peace and stability in Yemen.
4: Okay. Um, I am a college student. There's not much to it. I go to school in the SF Bay area. Um, I was born in Yemen. That's probably one of the reasons I'm really passionate about the cause. Um, I moved to the States really young. I am since been traveling back and forth from Middle Eastern countries, have not been back to Yemen since I left. Would really like to, but unfortunately, the situation has made it extremely difficult. Um, I now coordinate an organization called Action Corps. It is a humanitarian advocacy group. We push for justice for countries suffering climate disaster, and we push for an end to violent conflict in countries like Yemen and Burma. Um, I created a group called Hands Off Yemen, which is a student-led initiative, student-led and run. We push for an end to foreign intervention of all sorts in Yemen. We do not want um, to be deprived of our right to return to our country forever. Everyone in our group is um, Yemeni-American and they all deal with the same exact situation where they were either born in Yemen and left really young or they have visited really young, but have not been able to return, but would all love to return.
0: Great. And just out of curiosity, what um, what are you studying in college?
4: So I'm a political science major um, with a minor in philosophy.
0: Interesting.
4: Um,
0: so I think um, we'll start out, let's start out giving a, our audience sort of Uh, what's happening in Yemen and I, you know, it's unfortunate that I don't think that it gets covered as much on the news. Um, And so if we could sort of get from you what what is happening um, in Yemen,
4: right? So Yemen is under a seven year air and sea blockade since the former President Hadi fled his palace in Aden to Saudi Arabia. Um, He called for foreign intervention against all the rebelling parties that started building power in the Arab Spring. The result has been seven long years of airstrikes, um, fuel and medicine shortages, fast spreading of diseases and starvation. Due to the limited aid going into the country, um, Saudi is blocking a lot of the planes. Um, Some would say almost all the planes that try to go in for aid unless they are very vigilantly checked. Definitely disrupting the process. Um,
0: and a lot of people might not quite understand, like, what, why, why are the Saudis bombing Yemen? Let Let's start there. If you could sort of give us a little bit of background on that.
4: Right. So, of the rebel groups in Yemen, there is a group called the Houthi group. Um, they are. They are fueled by Iran. And that is a group that Saudi is definitely afraid of building power. And um, the Houthis have been causing some destruction in Yemen. And that is why President Hadi left and called for the intervention in the first place. Saudis fear that if the Houthis build power, then Iran would build power and eventually gain over Saudi. And um, as a result, they are doing this in quote unquote, self-defense from the Yemeni people.
0: Great. And, and so it's kind of a regional, almost like a proxy, proxy war. Yeah. Um, and so the United States, um, what's the U.S. involvement in, in this?
4: Proxy so the U.S. War? is providing the weapons for Saudi's blockade, and it is fueling their jets. It is um, providing uh, missiles. Just today, there was a... Um, joint resolution disapproval forced vote on the floor, which pretty much um, the majority is saying, why oppose the weapons? We want to keep fueling our ally Saudi. So the US is definitely on board with fueling this war and um, exacerbating the situation.
1: Netta, would you say that, um, just to clarify too, that um, prior to even the seven-year um, blockade that the u.s was involved in terms of drone strikes for for quite a while and um i've heard it described as a a drone shooting gallery um from from the u.s drones as well
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah absolutely um it's definitely unfortunate and to make matters worse the u.s and saudi relationship does appear to Uh, trace back to the start of Saudi's creation in 1901. I mean it's it's definitely um, a really close relationship and allyship and I don't know if we will continue to support the human rights violations that Saudi um, partakes in because of this alliance. I think that none of us can forget what happened to the journalist Jamal Khashoggi and others and it's just extremely unfortunate that the U.S. stands for human rights um liberties that we provide our citizens but we allow citizens to be deprived of them abroad it's extremely unfortunate
1: we're almost having to contort to to justify it as well it's it is pretty egregious and contradictory Mm -hmm. can you give us a little idea of um some of the impact of what's happening to to Yemen and, and Yemenis and the kind of big picture of and of what's happening in terms of
4: the impact oh, yes. of this
1: blockade and the strikes.
4: Yes, it is atrocious. It is terrible. Um it's estimated by the World Health Org that every seventy-five seconds a child would die in twenty twenty-one. And as of right now, it's estimated that almost four hundred thousand children have died so far. So um definitely horrible. Since the beginning of the Yemeni Civil War, at least two hundred and thirty thousand civilians have died. Um some from indirect causes, some from direct airstrikes, bombings on um, medical facilities and mosques and places, empty embassies, just random attacks that I would say should not have happened at all. School bus attacks, things that have U.S. prints, U.S. signature on them, so Mm. definitely damaging. Um, I would also like to add that the uh, airport being closed has caused significant damage to Yemenis ones who need to travel uh, on a terrible journey 10 hours through side roads from Aden to San'a it's a 10 hour bus ride Um, several checkpoints it takes so long when you're waiting in that checkpoint and some are fleeing due to medical emergencies but cannot board San'a airport I heard a story about a man whose son was sick and they needed to flee to a different country, Um, he lived in Sana'a and he could not board the Sana'a airport and get his son care, but he also could not take a 10-hour bus ride with his sick son, a five-year-old son, and the boy died. And unfortunately, the airport was less than 20 minutes from his house, but due to the blockade and due to planes not being able to board from Sana'a, it is definitely making things um, extremely unfair to the Yemeni civilians.
1: And I, I read, and maybe you can comment on this, the, the scale to me is um, just astounding. I, I read that over 4 million people have been displaced from this, um, that uh, over 2.5 million under five are malnourished and that over half or one out of two don't have safe drinking water. Um, some mm-hmm. 20 million people requiring, which is you know 65, 70% of the population needing assistance. Like the, the numbers are almost unimaginable, it seems like. Um, they
4: are unimaginable. When I, I when I give you these statistics, or when you give me these statistics, it's really hard to imagine. But I lived in Egypt for two years, which is one of the areas that are housing um, Yemeni refugees. And while I was there, it was, I hope I'm not exaggerating, but it was for every like three Egyptians, it was one Yemeni. And it yeah. wasn't just like one Yemeni, it was like one sick, um, one, um, <laughs> Sometimes missing limbs, sometimes missing um, eyes and ears. I was in uh, hospitals getting like regular checkups, and there would be majority of the people in hospitals, Yemenis. And it's just unfortunate that we're in this busy city of Cairo where there's, you know, one of the highest dense cities in the world, and there's so many Yemenis. You know, it's just the displacement is um, unimaginable.
0: So here in the U.S. you've organized um, a a youth group or a group of -hmm. of sort of young activists called um, Hands Off Yemen. And if you could tell us a little bit about, you know, what are some um, activities that you do um, and campaigns?
4: Yeah, so we started off um, simply posting on Instagram. The idea was that we wanted to give people insight on the Yemen crisis in an Instagrammable way. A lot of younger people do spend time on social media. So we started designing um, posts that were designed like graphically appealing so people would see them and want to share them on their story. And it grew. So then we felt like there was more that we could be doing. And we started lobbying um for US represent or California representatives and senators to push for war power resolution. Um hands-up women joined a coalition of uh, the organizations that were pushing for this War power Resolution to be reintroduced in Congress under Biden. So that's the kind of work we did. We started planning um, visuals and protests, and um, those were a success. I think a lot of people were inclined to think about Yemen a bit more. Uh, the organization has grew, and we are now holding workshops for Yemeni Americans on their civic duty. We do. Um, a couple hours every Sunday where we talk to people about how they can get involved, how how they can lobby beyond, you know, paying politicians off, you know, like what lobbying means and how they can organize for things that matter to them. So that's what we do now.
0: Can you share um, just because, you know, uh, hopefully the listeners are educators working with young people like what are some of the ways that um, people can get involved and, and to participate? in
4: lobbying? Mm-hmm. So what we do is we encourage people first to join an organization of people that already have some people power. Um, one amazing one I've been working with is Action Corps. That's spelled action, C-O-R-P-S, dot org. Um, we meet regularly to talk about things that we need to lobby for. And it helps because you see people who care about the same things you care about. So if you're interested in um, lobbying for something, find a group of people that agree with you and think that have the same values as you. To join you, it's really it's it's an overwhelming task to talk to an elected representative. But we have to remember, at the end of the day, it's people we elect and people that um, we pay to be in office by our tax dollars. So we should feel like we have access to them and um, to understand a responsibility. I hope that answers the question.
1: Yeah, I, and I will. Um, as you said, that join a, an organization that's doing what you like and um, what you agree with, and. Action Corps, uh, you mentioned both Yemen and Burma, Um, Mm -hmm. and can you talk a little bit about that kind of connecting struggles um, in different places and some of the kind of similar um, kind of root causes of, of issues that are happening?
4: I wonder if I can concisely connect. I don't know if I can, but I do know that with people in Action Corps, we have a group of passionate and motivated individuals who do want to make a change and they come from all different backgrounds. So we have um, this idea that our causes can unite and we are all people who are um, global citizens. We see, we see the results of these war and we don't want to continue supporting them, especially because we have no choice but to pay our taxes for most of us. And we don't want them to go into um, the pockets of dictators or people who would Know, exacerbate the situations that people are living in. So with Burma, like there's um, the military coup and we have Burmese individuals in the group who want to mobilize people who care. So that's the idea behind Action Corps and it's um, array of different campaigns that we care for. Great. Um, Chris, do you
3: have
0: other questions i was going to ask Neta um if there was a, if, if there was anything that she wanted to share with our listeners um that we didn't ask
1: uh no I'd, I'd like to leave it open i i mean there's so many questions and uh so many different um again things to talk about that i think the average person doesn't really know about and i i'd love to hear some of the things that you'd like us to share, and you like to share with, with people.
4: Well, I don't know how many of your listeners are Yemeni American, but I really would like for Yemeni Americans to understand that um, we are a sovereign country, and we should have the right to return to our country and rebuild it and make it a place where we can live. And there is, um, I have very deep sentiments about, you know, anti-intervention. I don't want, I don't want situations to get worse than they are because of um, these intervening parties. So for example as Yemenis what are we lacking that makes us unable to rebuild this country do we not have intellectual brains that can come together and you know form a democracy and form a stable government and do we not have resources do we not have soil that you know grows the richest of coffee you know cre- invention of coffee do we not have um, like beautiful terraced what is it like when the soil automatically you know, sends the water down. You know, we're so lucky to have that. Should we not, you know, take advantage of our agriculture? Should we not return to Yemen and make it beautiful again? So, you know, if there are Yemeni Americans listening, I just hope that we feel responsible for what's going on in Yemen and not allow ourselves to sit back while this crisis gets worse and worse every day and not support initiatives that continue to fuel warring parties, that continue to provide missiles to these countries, these dictatorships, you know? Mm.
1: Yeah, that to me is one of the the connections, and I think both Nina and I have um, been to and to Burma and worked with um, Burmese as well. And I, I think the that as you mentioned, um, getting getting the occupiers out like there's plenty of resources there and um, and power and will to make it happen, and getting those obstacles out of the way. Um, is essential. And I, I read recently too how um, like Sweden was hoping to broker some deals and make um, to deal with the crisis and but they're still selling arms to Saudi Arabia. Right. And, and, that's and those the
4: situation.
1: Yeah, th- those contradictions being like, how, how can you in good faith say you want to end or work through this when you continue to sell arms to to Saudi Arabia. Um, so Absolutely. I, yeah,
4: I don't think that Um, Anyone can care about Yemen as much as a Yemeni person who was, you know, has Yemeni blood, and I think that people should heavily consider that before vouching for foreign intervention and hoping that their hand, you know, they'll be walked into, um, you know, by hand holding into like a beautiful nation if they don't themselves advocate for it.
0: And I definitely, and I also think that Americans, right people here whose government is participating in this should care about it as well you know <clears throat> so i think a that's great message for for everyone here um who pays taxes you know that with money that goes to 50 percent of income taxes going to the military so yeah mm-hmm. well
1: yeah go ahead. a couple just i was just curious uh, to backtrack a little bit um your time in egypt and and also other places what was the <laughs> the reception of um and I'm partly curious about this because I'm teaching a class about immigration and migration at the high school level and we look at some of the experiences of, of different groups and I wondered what the as you said one in three in Egypt were in Cairo or Yemeni what was the reception um generally for them was there well yeah generally what was the Reception that you found
4: it's a a major it's a major loss it's um, depressing place to live, I live in a city called Faisal and it's. It's a refugee town essentially there's Syrians and there's Yemenis and it's just um, people are stuck I don't know if that's what you mean people are stuck there, they don't know how to feel about the war, all they know is that they have to leave and. um, They cannot return.
1: Hmm. I know that one of the things that happens uh, when people um, are forced or become refugees or forced to move or migrate, um, they often lose rights going to another place. Um, Basic human rights are often lost as they are in a new place without any kind of resources often or without um, legal status or all those things that there's a a big challenge in terms of both survival but also any kind of rights or human rights.
4: With my deepest respect to the Egyptian people, there was um, there's a language barrier and it's difficult with the dialects to communicate. And at times, um, we're treated as tourists and the situation is extremely different. It's not, you know, it's, it's a refugee. It's not, it's not a person looking for a good trip or a good vacation. So when we go places and try to buy merchandise, it's always prices are different and it's, mm. it's kind of like, well, you know, <laughs> what, what can we even say about that? We're, we're your guest, you know? But it is unfortunate that there is nothing that can be said.
1: Um, I wonder if you could uh, again give us uh, a couple of details. You mentioned Action Corps um, and there are other um, ways that people could get involved. And in, um, yeah, so with.
4: Action Corps. Um, We are part of a larger coalition pushing for the war powers resolution, as I talked about before, which would essentially call the Yemen or the US participation in the Yemen war what it is, which is unconstitutional. And um, we do things for Burma, we do our uh, rallies and lobby visits, as well as our global COVID response campaign and this one is probably one of our biggest campaigns and we push for higher issuance of um, SDRs which are basically money that we don't pay for to countries that are impoverished because of you know, COVID and other um, climate disasters so our recent campaigning with um, by lobbying and rallying requires people power and if you are interested in getting involved in these causes please visit our website we have a volunteer Um, tab where you can reach out to us and join. And um, if we get enough people, maybe we can hold bigger movements. Welcome back.
0: You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Um, And wbew also streams live um at wbew.org and you can listen to us indigo radio every sunday at one um and you can also find us on um itunes podcast um just look for indigo radio we're also on soundcloud um and check out our uh social media instagram twitter facebook um So that was an interview with Neda Saleh who is doing a lot of advocacy work, um, a lot of agitation and a lot of action um, to really bring awareness and action um, to stop this war um, that is funded by the United States, um, this attack on Yemen by Saudi Arabia. So um, before we we talk a little bit more about the interview. We're gonna um, play another song that was recommended by um, Neda, and this one is called "Dangerous Crossings," um, and it is um, about Yemen. <laughs>
3: الخبّم
5: للقلوب والخلق فيك تجّرح خليك هنا عشط خليك معا Hurrahs, what a horror. Add him away and tarry too. Or go haggard Sasakasa, so meta of her reset. We Kahinil.
3: Tengo za gut aspa y zo kapnu piaci tu piad magasi tu Piafa Nihubamnira,
5: ti na buta
3: no po yera, ti
5: when we came in Malawati, him suscribed by or was cualquier memory And your family added to the gilg All <mully> the clothing at Malawati a
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on WBEW FM 107.7 Brattleboro. Um, that was a song um, called "Dangerous Crossings," and um, I we will put this uh, the link to this song. You have to see it um, because the visuals are really amazing. And it was created um, uh, in, in partnership with UNHCR, the UN High Commissioner for Refugees, um, about you know, the dangerous crossings of people who have to flee their countries uh, because of war. Um,
1: and so, Nina, I, just wanna, are, yeah, I just wanna mention too that, um, again, in my immigration migration class, we look at <clears throat> really nobody wants to migrate it's um mm-hmm. yeah. it's a challenge, and as uh, Neta's mentioned, like language can be a barrier, um, mm-hmm. lack of human rights, um, lack of connections and resources. and um I've heard it described in ways like, um, you go into the mouth of a shark, meaning this new place you're going to, only if the place you're going is even worse. And so this challenging um this displacement of four million people, I think it was. Um, is, is really dangerous, and it's only done by really desperate and suffering people. And I think, um, and, it, and it's not just the impact on Yemen, but as Nata mentioned, in, in Egypt and um, Italy and other places all around the world, um, it, it's something that we really need to, to come to grips with and understand, and, and getting to the root causes of those um, issues, and not just looking at the symptoms of what's, what's happening, which are horrific. And we need to understand and look at those, but also what are the root causes?
0: Absolutely. Um, and, you know, and I, I, also think of the United States as, you know, when you say people don't want to to migrate really, even, you know, people who aren't necessarily fleeing from war, they're fleeing from sort of, what is it? The, the, aftermath of NAFTA, right, sort of the, the decimation of, of an economy, which is a different kind of war, you know, they don't, I've, I've worked, you know, with, peop- with people who have families still in, um, in Mexico and Guatemala, and, you know, they don't see their families for seven to 10 years, and that's not, you know, what they, it isn't what they want necessarily. Again,
1: so I, I've yeah. seen that working in various restaurants and, and yeah. working with people again. Yeah. Living in houses with four or people, 10 people in a house and sending their money back home. And, yeah. um, and then, and we see that very much in Vermont too. the, um, migrant farm workers that are here. Uh, we see them in Bells falls, picking fruit. We see them in the dairy fields and stuff. And so it, this forced migration based on Um, economics is, is very, very real and present in our lives too.
0: Absolutely. And I think that, um, that one should be alerted, you know, to the narratives that are told to us about the people who are forced to migrate to here or wherever. Um, So I'm going to, if you can give me a second. I'll uh, bring up the clip with Nam chop Sure.
1: I, w- um, I wanted to mention too, just a to comment on Nathas. Um, I know that many times when we learn and hear about and see what's going on in the world, there is often, I, and my students express this, a feeling of helplessness or hopelessness or or inevitability. And I appreciated one of the things that she mentioned that there are a lot of people doing work around this and in any number of, whether it's mental health or immigration or um, prisons or whatever it might be. And she, her point was join an organization that's doing the work already. Right. And, and both to um, be more effective um, as we join forces, but also to educate yourself about this. And, and it's not like she was asking, Hey, every one of us go write a letter to your congressperson, which we could and should do as well. But she's saying, join a group and um, and don't don't um, be uh, overwhelmed by um, what's happening in the world, but instead be active um, in that. And I think that that's a really really basic thing that I can carry into my classroom, but also for all of us to think about as well.
0: Absolutely. Um, all right, so I'm going to play um, this clip uh, by Nam Chomsky, um, who, who is talking about Yemen in the larger context of um, the global uh, war on terror.
3: Demonstrations in London by Global Justice Now against the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership, or TTIP, today may not garner much mainstream media attention, but it's probable that many of the activists out protesting will have been inspired by the work of our next guest. Professor Noam Chomsky is the most cited living academic in the world and he joins me now from MIT in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Welcome, Noam, to Going Underground. The UN Secretary General is saying uh, he wants an immediate ceasefire in Yemen. There was a drone strike from the Obama administration on Tuesday, and uh, thousands are dead and wounded. What lies behind the Obama strategy in Yemen?
2: Well, there are two main prongs to the current Obama strategy. They happen to be in conflict, which causes some problems in Washington. One is the drone campaign, the uh, Yemen has been the main target uh, of the uh, global assassination campaign, uh, the most extraordinary uh, global terrorism campaign in history. Uh, It is officially aimed at, uh, as in this last strike, it's aimed at people who are suspected of uh, potentially being a danger to the United States. Uh, That's a pretty extreme form of terrorism, Uh, but it's accepted in the West, and uh, and Yemen has been the main target. Of course, it's also a terror-generating campaign, as is understood at the highest level. When you, say, attack a village and uh, murder somebody who you're aiming at, and maybe a couple other people are standing around, uh, that does tend to elicit uh, a call for revenge. And it has undoubtedly, uh, not, not, not even questionable, increased uh, what we call terrorism. So, so the terrorism campaign, an, an incredibly uh, uh, incredible one, and also increasing uh, terror, as we can see. The other prong is support for the uh, Saudi invasion, uh, the bombing, uh, the blockade, which is barred Uh, food and uh, other supplies by air, by sea, uh, direct bombing attacks, uh, also killing people regularly. Uh, And these two things happen to be somewhat in conflict because the U.S. is supporting the Saudi attack, and the Saudi attack supported by the United States is offering uh, space for the uh, operations of uh, al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, the main uh, source of what we call terror. So, for example, the New York Times has an article on how Al Qaeda is expanding in Yemen, uh, conquering uh, new cities, banks, so on, uh, because of the space that's left open by uh, the war against the Houthi, the Saudi war, who were the main enemy of Al Qaeda and are now uh, engaged in. Uh, Uh, In a war with basically with Saudi Arabia and the United States. So these two uh, elements of policy uh, Both of them extremely harmful to Yemen are also somewhat in conflict which creates a problem for planners in Washington. You said the Houthi.
0: And that was uh, Nam Chomsky who was um, interviewed about Yemen in the context of um, global terrorism. Chris.
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, one of the the pieces of this that to pull some of these strands together that I don't um, he mentioned the Obama campaign in this and it's not a, a Democrat or Republican thing. It's a, a a U.S. policy that's been carried out from for numerous campaigns. And I also think one of the things that's frightening um, about this, too, is the idea that uh, Anyone can be targeted if they're suspected of being dangerous, and I I just think that whether that's done on U.S. soil, which has been done, you know, since the beginning, um, but certainly also other places, other countries. That if we suspend what we do here, the rights that people are afforded here to other people around the world, I think that's a again a dangerous precedent. And as Professor Chomsky mentioned, it. It, can, it does create its own resistors and what we call terrorists when people, if we're bombing villages, are they going to embrace us after the fact? Are their families and relatives and country people going to embrace us after we, we bomb them? And uh, so I think that not only do we um, waste you know, billions and billions of dollars of resources trying to accumulate resources in other places, Right. And I know as a teacher and every year we face cutting of fellow teachers and resources here, we certainly could use those here, but we're also defeating what we're trying to do. We're creating um, more um, resentment, hatred and and violence in this whole process. And so I think, as Chomsky was pointing out, it's two prongs that that neither work with each other or for each other or for us in particular. Um, and so I Go back to what Neta was mentioning finding an organization or organizations that um, you can join with uh, to resist this, resist war, resist this continued militarization, um, and, and the money that we're spending on it, and um, the abdicating of our rights and others' rights in this. So,
0: absolutely um well thank you um please join uh us indigo radio again next week um at one o'clock if you're local t- tune in um or just find us on the iTunes podcast or on soundcloud and thank you very much
1: thank you Nina for this important topic and I uh, hope we keep bringing up this and many others so absolutely and-